Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Here on the podcast, we tell stories about homesteading, farming, and following your dreams. And this is our first episode, so welcome. Each episode, we invite a guest or two on, and we talk about how they have changed their lives and what they're doing and how they're pursuing their passions. And right now, as I'm recording this episode for you guys, I am outside, standing in the middle of our kitchen garden here at our farm in northern Vermont. Uh, It's actually kind of warming up right now. We're having the first thaw that we've had in in a long time, and it's about 35 degrees. But even still, there's a lot of snow on the ground. So much, in fact, that if I wasn't wearing these snowshoes right now, I'd probably be up to mid-thigh or so in snow. But even though there's still a lot of snow on the ground and we've got a lot of thaw to go, in about eight weeks we'll be putting plants in the ground. I can't wait. I'm really excited for garden season, as I know a lot of people are out there. And because I'm excited about gardens right now, I decided to talk to a friend of mine who has a big family, a little farm, in a garden that would absolutely blow your mind. That's right, I'm talking about my friend Jessica Sowards over at Roots and Refuge Farm. Jess and her husband Jeremiah have really built an amazing little homestead in Arkansas. They also have a fast-growing YouTube channel, and they're just a couple of really incredible people. So the other day, Jess and I sat down and we had a, a great conversation. You know, it was fun talking about the roots of Roots and Refuge and, and really talking about kind of what Jess is trying to tackle today and where she and her family want to go for the future. There were a lot of topics that we covered in the conversation, and I figured you guys would want to just sort of listen on in. So here is my conversation with Jess from Roots and Refuge Farm. Arkansas. My family um, for a few generations have been Arkansans and I just had a very typical uh, suburban American upbringing. Um, Mom and dad, dad worked, uh, mom stayed home. We were poor because of it but the kind of poor that you don't you don't spend a lot of extra money but you have your mom at home you know like and uh you know, I had one one younger brother, one younger sister. We grew up in a three-bedroom brick house in suburbia. I always loved animals um, in a big way. Just I volunteered at the animal shelter as soon as I was old enough when I was 12. And just loved, like, people in the neighborhood bring, would bring me their, um, you know, their little squirrels that were abandoned in their yard and little baby birds and stuff like that. I was that person. But I never had a whole lot of a connection to a farm life, but I always, always wanted it, just my whole, my whole childhood. What do you think fueled that desire to be connected to it, even though you didn't grow up in that? Um, I think it really started it with the whole love for animals. I think that had to be it. Now, my mom was a gardener, and she didn't do a lot of edibles, but I, I just grew up around plants all the time. And, I mean, my mom saving seeds and planting things and starting things and propagating things. That was just so totally normal. And she would do people's garden beds for a little side money, and I would always go with her. So there was some normalcy in, like, growing things, but not a whole lot of a connection to a farm. But I just – I don't know what it was. I just loved it. Cool. 
And now, you know, kind of like high school years and, and like thinking about what you'd want to do when you grew up and, and what did you ultimately become? What were you thinking about back then? Well, it's kind of funny now that I look at my life at how all of the things kind of got married and melded together over the years. But whenever I was in high school, I still loved animals. But at that point, I had been pretty well talked out of a farm, you know, because when a little kid tells people they want to be a farmer, people are they're imagining big agriculture, you know, like Tyson chicken houses, you know, like that sort of thing. And they're like, oh, no, you don't want to be a farmer. And I always had in my mind a little red barn and a handful of chickens in the yard. And, you know, it was very romantic. But by the time I was a teenager, I had decided, oh, yeah, I guess I don't really want to do that because people always reference big agriculture. So I decided at that point that I either wanted to be a photographer or a teacher. And actually, when I went to college, it was for uh, media, for photojournalism, you know, at the time. That's what I loved, is, is, was telling stories through imagery. And I also had this mind, I thought, well, maybe I'll get an art degree and I'll teach art, because I love to teach people. So it is kind of funny now that through... YouTube, I'm largely teaching people about how to farm. <laughs> and you're taking videos of it, so it's leveraging the photography. Yeah, totally. So it's kind of cool that it all came together. But those in my entire lifetime I ever imagined my, for myself was a teacher, a photographer, or a farmer. In terms of actually getting to where you are today, though, there must have been some barriers that made just sort of having this role where you're farming and teaching and making videos... Like, that didn't just happen. So there were steps along the way. Like, tell me about that. Well, um, you know, I was married previously. M Maya and I did this life together, but uh, we were we were both married previously. And in my previous marriage, this was still a dream of mine. This is something that I really wanted. We moved around a lot. I had two small children. I, we, I was not in the kind of marriage that I am now where I had a lot of spousal support. Um so it felt really, really impossible. And there's also the fact that we were just kind of broke. Um, and when Jeremiah and I got together, after we'd both gone through divorces, I remember us talking about this dream life. Now, at the time, to be completely honest, I think Jeremiah probably would have agreed to, like, give me the moon if that's what I wanted. But, like, so he's like, yeah, small farm, totally doable, you know. Like, But he actually grew up on a small farm in Oklahoma, you know, his mom was really into raising food and they did like an acre garden and raised meat chickens and all of that stuff. It wasn't foreign to him, but to me it was this far off dream. And he was like, yeah, we can totally do that. I, and I just, I just held him to it. And so that was kind of our relationship was based on the fact that we were in agreement that this was the goal. And it took about five years for us together to get to the point where we bought our house. Um, you know, he was in school and we had little babies. There were just a lot of different things, but it's sort of the opportunity really fell into our lap and it just felt very, uh, it felt, felt very much like Providence because we found a foreclosure. We were able to afford it and things just went from there. That was about five years ago. Hmm, wow. Now, all right. I have this friend and, um, she always calls her husband, Jimmy. But if anybody were to ever call him Jimmy to his face, they would be probably, like, shanked. <laughs> um, you, you always refer to your husband as Maya. Is that yeah. a name that he goes by by everyone, or is it just by virtue of the fact that you've called him Maya? 
It's funny you should ask. Um, you know, obviously, Maya is short for Jeremiah. A lot of people don't get that. They're like, where do you get Maya? It's like the second half of his name. But um, prior to us living our life out loud on YouTube, the only people in the world that called Jeremiah Maya was me, his mom, and maybe his younger siblings, a few of his, like, youngest siblings. But it's funny because with YouTube, you're – you're bringing camera into your intimate daily life. And when you're in the kitchen together and you're like, Hey, hand me that sugar, whatever you say, what you normally say. So I'm calling him Maya on YouTube, not even thinking about it. And it sort of just stuck. So now it's kind of become a common name for him. How did you guys meet? Um, I actually knew his family first. His, his mom and brother went to church with me here. His brother originally went to church with me here in central Arkansas. And, um, then his mom moved down here and she and I became good friends. And then a couple years later, he moved down here, um, with his daughter. And that's when we met. Our kids are about the same age, our oldest kids, and they became good friends and we just became really good friends. Awesome. Now, all right. So fast forward to about five years ago. You guys found your place uh, through a foreclosure sale. You got it. It all sort of worked out. Then what was your plan from there? Oh, this is when it became very evident that Jeremiah did not so much want a farm. He just wanted to make me happy because I was like raring to go. And he was kind of like, maybe we can wait till the kids are older. They can help more, you know. And I'm just like, no, we got to start. Um, we actually had a plan to take it slow and steady. When we moved here, it was a crazy whirlwind. A tornado happened the day that we moved. Completely, like, was an upheaval in our life. It didn't hit our home. It hit a few miles from here. But it actually was was a very traumatizing thing for some friends of ours. They lost their kids. And we were really involved in that situation because Maya actually was the first person to arrive after the tornado went through and found them all and all that stuff. It was just this crazy thing that happened. And so for the first several months of being here, we were sort of just shell-shocked. And it was we didn't have a plan. It was just kind of like finding normal again. It was really a crazy time. And then, I don't know, just on a random day that at the end of that August after moving – I just brought home 31 Rhode Island red chicks in a cardboard box, like totally on a whim. I'm talking like we didn't even have a heat lamp. Like it was, it was so dumb. And uh, I'm still getting crap for that to this day. Like every time I start to like think about new things, because I'm such a starter, Jeremiah's such a finisher. Every time I start to think of new things, he's like, don't remind, don't make me bring up the Rhode Island reds. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, so it's interesting you say that. Cause I need, I know like here with our farm, uh, my wife, she was actually the one who was always into, yeah, let's have a garden and let's have like a little homestead and let's do these things. And I was actually sort of reluctant. But then there was this tipping point where I became, all right, I want this big farm and I have a dream of doing this farm and let's go. And, and you know, sometimes now she's been reluctant. How do you think, you know, couples kind of – do you think it's common – I guess I should say, do you think it's common for couples to struggle to sort of match their dreams of what they want their homesteads to be like and, and – do you have any advice for trying to do that? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the main thing is really honoring your your you know your partner's time 
and hearing their hesitations and hearing why. I think whenever we have a dream about something and the other person is hesitant, it's easy to take it really personal and say, oh, you just don't want me to have what I really want. And, you know, in our case, the fact is, is that a lot of the stuff that I really want is going to create a lot more work for him because I'm not going to build its house. He's going to build its house. You know, he's the one who does that. He's got the skills in that. And I have bit off more than he can chew sometimes. And I've had to learn how to chill out and say, hey, can we really handle this? Is this really okay? I feel like we've gotten into a really good stride, but it definitely took a few years. And there is a standing rule in place in our house that I'm not allowed to bring home animals. So. <laughs> well, but I think you're right that it's you've got to be able to sort of match each other because I know there's stuff that I do here where if I'm traveling, Allison's going to be the one who has to deal with the ducks. And so you can't just think of, well, I'll handle it so you don't have to worry about it. That I've never seen that actually ever play out that way in really anything in a marriage. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to be a partnership. So so now, as you guys have that partnership today, what does that look like? Um, the way that it's kind of – the way the chips have fallen for us – and of course, we have YouTube to consider into that. And YouTube and our family, it's, it's, it's a job and it's an income. And so it's something that we treat like a job. Uh, we don't just blow it off if we don't feel like it. We put out content. Um, and so the way it falls is we're both here. We're both here full time. He does some a little bit of side, works, side work, but we're both here. And we've got our kids to consider, which we have five of here, um, four of which are homeschooled. We have the farm, which is a lot of animals. We have the really large garden, and we have YouTube. And the way it kind of falls is mostly the animals fall to Jeremiah, mostly the garden and uh, falls to me. And I do the majority of YouTube, and he, uh, he and I pretty much split the kids. Like, we both take care of stuff. We both do homeschool and teaching them and taking care of what they need. And the house falls in with that, you know, all the laundry and all the, the stuff that has to get done. Mm. It, so it kind of works out and we do a lot of partnership like, hey, like if I'm not feeling well, he'll shoot a video that day or if I'm overwhelmed or whatever. Um, and it, it works out pretty well, but it definitely takes a lot of communication and a lot of planning. We always have priority lists. We're always looking at what needs to get done that day and kind of tag teaming everything. Right. Well, let's talk a little more about that YouTube piece. So, so yeah. you know, you guys are putting out several videos a week, you, you know, just as we're recording this. He just crossed the hundred thousand subscriber yeah. milestone, and and yet at the same time, when you watch your videos, they're really intimate. Like they're you know really good snapshots of you guys as a family, really kind of up close perspective. How do you guys try to balance sort of your lives and your privacy and maintaining them as your lives versus sharing them with the world on YouTube? That's a really good question. Um. You know, one thing I think that it's easy to forget when you're watching YouTube videos is you watch a 16-minute video that is clipped together throughout the entire day. You're only actually seeing 16 minutes of that day. And sometimes, you know, there's time lapses. It's a project that took a little while. But there's so much that happens in our house that people don't see. You know, I mean, there's so much fun time that we're playing together. And I'm. this is something that has always been important to me. I don't ever want something to be done for the watcher. I want it to be done, you know, for the family. And then you allow the watcher in sometimes. You allow the viewer in. But I purposely don't turn the camera on a lot of times. You know, we have fun 
for instance, here's just a good example. The other night we were playing uh, hide-and-seek in the dark. That's something that we like to do. And sometimes I'll think, oh, this would make great content. But then I'm like, eh, I'm just going to play with the kids. You know? And so for me, that's a big part of it, is make, knowing when to say, I'm just going to be present. This isn't this isn't content right now. This is just regular life. And I think that allows us to give that intimate look the rest of the time because nobody feels begrudging of the camera because it's not always there. Does that make sense? It, it, it totally does because, um, yeah, kind of what's out there and becomes the perception is only what you're willing to share to allow it to be yeah. that perception, right? Yeah, and so another thing for us, too, that we kind of made an agreement when we first realized that our channel was taking off, it was really last summer, and it just started to snowball. And it wasn't just a funny little, oh, we're just going to do this for fun. It was like, hey, what are we going to do if this turns into a really big thing? At that point, we kind of made an agreement with each other that YouTube was always going to be a catalyst to make us better, like allowing people in our lives. We never wanted to be in an argument and then just stuff it so we could make a video for the day. We wanted to allow the fact that we needed to make a video to, for the day to, uh, you know, spur us to get to the resolution and the disagreement, you know, and come back to a place of connection so we could honestly turn the camera on. And I would say that that has been really beneficial for our family because I feel like we're more connected than we were before because otherwise we would be lying and we just agreed we would never do this dishonestly. Mm. Now, now you, for, for you guys, the whole YouTube thing, that's like in the last year, that's been massive, right? So a year ago at this time, you were like, what, 100, 100th of the size that you are today? Yeah, that, we, were, we had about 1,500 subs this time last year. And, and what's that growth been like? I mean, that's <laughs> crazy. I don't know. It's kind of, it's really humbling. It's really just kind of, we feel a lot of disbelief a lot of times. And it's one of those things that it's just like anything else. You know, I know some people, they'll have a goal to lose weight and they think if I could just lose this weight, I would be happy. And a lot of times they lose the weight and they're not happy still. Or they have a goal to make more money and they think if I could just make this more money, I would be happy. And then they make the money and then it's like, well, if I could just make this much more. And I can see how YouTube can become like that where you think if I could just get to this point, I would be okay. But it's like any other thing. I mean, you reach a milestone, you're thinking about the next milestone. And it's exciting, it's thrilling, but the success of it, I just don't feel like it's an indicator of who we are. I think that people are amazing. I tell people I have the best subs in the whole world. They're so precious. They're so kind. They're encouragers. And everybody that I ever promote on YouTube, they always message me afterwards. And they're like, God, your subs that came over are so nice. I'm like, I know they're the best. It, it, it's so true. I, I, I remember when we did a video together, right? There was like this influx of people. I mean, we had like 500 new subscribers overnight. And they were the nicest people in the world, leaving the sweetest comments. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're amazing. But even still, like, I just, I, I'm, I really sincerely believe that if you, like, live on people's praises, then you'll die by their criticism. And that's one thing that I've really had to learn in YouTube is while I'm so thankful for that, it can't be the defining factor. I am so thankful for, for how YouTube has gone over the last year. It's been life-changing. I mean, it has changed our options. It's given us the ability to do more here, to see this dream move a lot faster. We've, we're, we're getting more done in the last year than we've gotten done in 
years before that, just because it's opened up so many resources. But I don't know. It's it's humbling. It's amazing. But it's also at the same time, it's not who we are. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, it makes makes perfect sense. Um, you know, one thing about your identity, I know we've talked about this before, that, that I know you find to be very, very important is um, kind of your religion and, and your beliefs, and you even make that a part of, of what you talk about. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. What, where's, what's that rooted in? Well, you know, we're Christians, and for us, we live in the Bible Belt. I don't, have you been to the South much? Have you spent much time? A little, little, little bit, but not a ton. Like, <laughs> living in D.C. was the furthest South I've ever lived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, there's a lot of religion here. Um, a lot of, of, of Christian religion of all different flavors and all different, uh, I don't know what the right word, I guess intensity, intensities is the word I'm looking for. And, um, and for me... For my faith, it's really about relationship with God. And so this journey in farming and then even in YouTube has been so intertwined with that relationship with God. I don't know how to separate it out. I mean, it's just it's the backbone of everything we do. It's the backbone of our marriage and our parenting and choosing to grow food and the peace that we walk in and the choices that we make. And so I share that. um, But I always want people One of the things I really enjoy about the fact, hold on, let me find my right words. One of the things I love about sharing my faith is how many people who don't think like me have chosen us anyway. And it is an incredible thing to me to be able to connect with people that you disagree with. I think it's really easy to connect with people that you agree with. And we have a ton of faith-filled, beautiful subscribers that have sent us messages at just the right time and prayed for us and supported us and I love them but I also love the messages that come from people that say I was so burned by the church but some for some reason I found this channel and you know I'm just thankful Uh, the letters that I get just blow me away the things that people share and so yeah our faith is such a huge part of who we are I feel like I, I feel like I don't feel an obligation to share it but I don't know how to take it out. Like, it just, it is who we are. I could no more leave out God in my, my YouTube channel than I could leave out Maya. You know, I mean, he's, he's there for me. So, like, I to, I'm going to acknowledge him. So, um, and my, I think my feelings about that, my feelings about Maya show, my feelings about my kids show, my feelings about my garden show, and so my feelings about my faith show as well. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, yeah, one of the things that, you know, I've always appreciated it. I know you and I have sort of different worldviews and different backgrounds, yeah. but, you know, we can be friends and talk about things like this where you can see the other person's perspective. And I totally see where you're coming from, even though it's not my perspective. I think one of the things that, you know, if you step back and think about society as a whole that we often struggle with is being able to do that with other people whose beliefs are different than yours or whose perspective on the world is different than yours. And so I, I, I found that to be an important part of the connection like you and I've had and conversations we've had over the time we've known each other. Absolutely. For me, I think that the thing that we've gotten into just as a society as a whole is people just don't know how to have relationships that are built on understanding instead of agreement. And so people are going around and, they're wrecking their lives because they, you know, they cut off everybody that doesn't agree with them, you know, and this is why people a lot of times can't stay married. I'll tell you this, Jeremiah and I do not agree with each other 
a lot of the times, but we choose to love each other anyway. It, we don't have to be on the same page. We don't have to agree about things, but we can choose to be in agreement that our end goal is to stay married and live our life, even if there are little things that we disagree about. And, um, you know, for a long time in the Christian faith, I felt like what I had to do was convert people to think like me. The problem with that is, is that in a lot of ways I was wrong. You know, I mean, there were so many things I was wrong about and that's not loving people. If, if I'm going to make a relationship with you just to make you think like me, I don't love you. I love the me in you. Like, I love me. That's what that boils down to. And so it was such a freeing thing to me to say, I really believe that God is real and I really believe that he loves people. And so all I have to do is love people like actually. And it opened up relationships that had been shut off for so long. I mean, I went years without being close to my brother because he didn't think like me. And now he's one of my very best friends. He still doesn't think like me. We're close. Like, we're able to actually talk. I don't know. It's just been a freeing thing for me to come off of agreement-based relationships and come into understanding and just want to understand people and value them no matter what they think like. I, I think that's, that's, that's really, really well said and, and some, some real wisdom in that. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about homesteading in general. Uh, you know, it, it seems like more and more people kind of across the United States seem to be interested in trying to grow their own food, you know, take care of some animals, you know, either they're doing it today or they have the dream of doing it. Why do you think that is? What, what do you think is driving that growth and in, of interest? Well, I think our food system is so painfully broken that its brokenness is really starting to hang out. You know, like I just think that there, it's hard to ignore the fact that something is wrong. Um, you know, back in the 80s, when things were really first starting to go very awry, you didn't have 20 years of results showing you how bad it was. You know, I mean... I had the benefit as a child to be raised eating pretty healthy. I had some health issues. And so while all of my peers were drinking sodas and, you know, my sister was asthmatic. So when everybody else was smoking in the house, my parents, they smoked, but they didn't smoke in the house. And we weren't allowed to drink soda. And we weren't, you know, my mom did garden. So we did eat more healthy food. And so now as an adult, when I look at the issues that a lot of my peers have from food you know, food problems growing up. I mean, it was not a big deal when we were kids. You know, like you you took your Lunchable or your processed food to school and there was no shade about it. You know, I mean, that was just, you had the cool food if you were eating the processed food. And it's not like that anymore because people are starting to see the effects of what this does because we have a whole generation that's now grown up eating really badly and we're not healthy. And um, I know that for me... Um, it was health issues. I mean, it was health. It, it was the fact for me, it was whenever my son was born, he had allergies and I started reading labels and I realized what was in that. And I started attributing a lot of the issues that my family was having back to what we were eating. And that was whenever I was like, I want to start gardening and I wanted to start buying locally. I'd always wanted the animals, but that's whenever it really became about the food um, was whenever my older boys were little. And I see the same journey coming for so many people, whether they have a health scare or a diagnosis or they lose somebody. We just lost Maya's mom, who was 60, and she had colon cancer. And that's uh, – it's sobering. 
because 60-year-olds shouldn't die because their bodies are sick. 60 is not old enough to die of a sick body. And there are people that do all the time, but what kind of things was she exposed to? What kind of things did she eat for however long before she started being more food-wise? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a necessity thing. I think people are realizing that the system's broken because you can see how our bodies are reacting to it. Mm. And, and what do you think some of the biggest mistakes are, though, when somebody, you know, sees that, says, ooh, you know, my instincts tell me I need to do something about this. Let me try to grow my own food. But then, like, what are the things that they often do that might not be the best way to start? All right. That's a great question. I think there are two big things that we make a mistake whenever we, t we realize we need to homestead and we jump into it. The first one is people become fearful. Um, we have to be legacy-minded. We have to be looking at the longevity of the thing because a really, really good effort that you can only keep up with for one year is not going to make you healthier in the long run. It's better to say, I'm going to grow 15% of my food this year than to say, I'm going to grow 100% of my food this year and then stop after a year. Because if you grow the 15, next year you can do 20. And then the next year you can do 25. And then maybe in five years you can be growing a lot of your food. Or in 10 years you can be growing a lot of your food. And in your overall lifetime, and for the lifetime of your legacy, your kids, or the people you have impact over, that will be better. So fear makes us think, oh, this is so bad. I have to do something totally extreme right now. We buy off more than we can chew. We dive off into the deep end without knowing how to swim. And ultimately, we fail whenever we become fearful. But if we can level-headedly say, okay, what can I reasonably do right now to make better choices with the current situation and take baby steps towards it over the course of our lifetime, we will be better. The other thing is um, the first thing that we have to change when we want to grow our own food is we have to confront our appetites. Um I see a lot of homesteaders that even get the animals and start gardening and continue eating at fast food seven to ten times a week. Um, and then they don't eat the food because here's the thing. If you are accustomed to eating fake food that is full of preservatives, that is full of artificial flavors, that is full of salt and fats and stuff just in exorbitant amounts that just aren't naturally occurring in real food – when you eat that real food, you're not going to have a hunger for it. And so a lot of times what people can do when they realize that it's broken, they can assess their their appetites and their habits and say, okay, well, this can change. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, like address drinking soda if you want to start a farm. Address these things. Now, I will say that, you know, like Maya still drinks soda. He goes back and forth on it. But it's something that he even acknowledges. This is keeping me from doing more here. Um, address how much sugar you're eating, address how much fast food you're eating, address all of these things and say, well, right now I might not be able to grow the food, but I can change my appetite to want the food. You can support local farmers. You can buy the stuff at the grocery store. And even if you're buying apples that are shipped in from Argentina, or if you're buying radishes that came from the West Coast, even though you live on the East Coast or whatever, that stuff you want to get to the point that you're not doing that stuff. But right now, doing that instead of eating the fast food is aligning yourself to grow your own food. So it's going good, better, best, essentially. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's all about baby steps. And for me, like when I realize, okay, I want to start, I want to take a next step. I want to grow a higher percentage. I want to become less dependent. 
And then, like, for me right now, I'm doing more fermenting. I'm like, I need to... Sorry, phone's ringing in my hand. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> oh, that was really good. So, so I think I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think, and as you see people who are out there... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Answering machine. Hang on, sorry. <laughs> This is the first time in my entire life that, that I've actually had a, a landline as an adult. Like, I've always, like, since I was in college, I had a cell phone and then got my first apartment cell phone. But out here, like, we have no reception whatsoever, and yeah. so I actually need a landline. <laughs> so sorry about that. So we were talking about people getting into homesteading. And now, um, for somebody who is out there and say they are... You know, living in a condo in a smallish city, thinking about, oh, I want to go move out to the country and live this good natural life. What sort of advice would you have for somebody like that? Um, I always tell people turn your waiting room into a classroom. Um, and like if you're living in a condo, let's say you have absolutely zero gardening space. That's not even an option to garden outside, build a raised bed. You're just completely inside. I do think like you can see behind me, I've got. I've got these microgreens started inside. That's something somebody could do. Like little things like that I think are really encouraging. But you could learn to can by buying produce at the grocery store. You can, uh, like I said, change your, your, ap your appetites. Like recognize the places where you might be addicted to things like sugar, um, things that are going to really hold you back from getting the most out of growing your own food. And just learn everything that you can. I mean – Staying motivated to get out of the rat race is probably the hardest thing to do when you're there because it's so easy to just say, oh, my gosh, that's going to be so much work. That's never going to happen. I'm just going to stay put where I am. And then you never address those things and you stay in a place that you'll, you know, you stay sick. Essentially, you stay addicted to the bad food. You stay uh, in a place where you're just completely dependent on a broken system. But people in those situations can make small choices that are huge leaps in the direction of where they're wanting to go. And, and I think that's that's good advice of sort of start small and, and kind of take it step by step because I, I've seen a lot of people where they get so super overwhelmed with all the things that they eventually try to take on because they want to do all the stuff um, that it, it, sort of it all eventually fails. Do, do you ever get kind of overwhelmed with everything that you guys have going on? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, I... I regularly have to take a moment and be like, okay, just regroup. What's the most important thing to do right now? Um, the, I mean, I'm looking at my garden, which we are expanding our garden space. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, can we really do this? Because last year our friend Daniel lived close. Maya's mom was here, and they were big helps. And now I'm like, oh, we don't have as much help as we did. Can we do this? And I'm always assessing because we got in so in over our head when we first started. We had like 150 chickens. Like we got, we and we had at one point like 30 something goats. And we just, because it all multiplies, it just keeps growing and keeps multiplying. And we were so in over our head to the point that we thought we don't really want to do this anymore. And we had to stop and say, what are our actual goals? We really just wanted to grow our food. So we don't need to be selling 40 dozen eggs a week. We really just want enough chickens to lay eggs for our family. We don't need to have all these goats. We don't want to sell milk. We just need enough for our family. And we paired everything back. And now we're so cautious to not get in wildly over our head because it is easy to get overwhelmed. And that can totally make you quit. Mm. 
So, so you mentioned you're expanding out your garden. You know, kind of what's next for Roots and Refuge Farm? Like, what are you guys planning to do over the next year? Well, our big word this year was finish. So there are some things we're doing that are just like finishing the full vision we have for projects. Like our garden is actually not finished. Um, we've we've planned on having this cottage garden on the side with perennials and berries and we're putting a little greenhouse in there which we just started we're planned on doing like a sitting pavilion right in the middle and just making that space totally beautiful it's already really beautiful but just finishing it out that's going to be the big leap this year for that space and then we're also doing a little bit of gardening efforts in the backyard um more like row crops and that sort of thing but it's not going to be very extravagant and aside from that, we're going to be establishing some things like we're getting our quail really established. We're going to start hatching more of those as they start laying and getting a good laying flock of those. But other than that, we're not starting just a whole lot that's new. We just want to finish out what we've already started. Wow. Well, you guys have started a lot and there's a lot going on. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's totally understandable. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time today and, and kind of giving me a little bit of insight on sort of the journey you guys have been on and where you guys are going, as well as some really good advice. So, so thank you. Absolutely. It's my joy. So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I really learned a lot in talking to Jess. And, and, you know, knowing somebody like her, you know, she's just such an incredible, authentic, and, and motivating person that, you know, after a conversation like that, that's what's got me out here standing in the middle of the garden trying to figure out what I want to plant and where I want to plant it, even though we still have probably about two and a half, three feet of snow on the ground. If you want to learn more about Jess, I will leave a link to her YouTube channel in the show notes, or you can just search for uh, Roots and Refuge Farm on YouTube and it'll pop right up. Also, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we're a brand new podcast right now, but we're trying to make ourselves available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play all of those podcast aggregators and systems we're trying to make ourselves available. And because we're so brand new, we really want to try to build an audience. And so the more you guys can rate, review, subscribe, share this with your friends and family, the more it's going to give us the ability to grow. And, and I would just, you know, crazy much appreciate it. Also, if you want to learn more about what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm, you can always visit our website at uh, goldshawfarm.com. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to my good friend Keith Pierce, who developed our theme song. Uh, it's awesome. It blows my mind that somebody would come up with such a genius riff about our farm and it just... I, I don't know. Every time I hear it, I get all weepy and stuff. It probably doesn't mean as much to you guys, but I, I get a big kick out of it. So thank you, Keith, for creating that. That is awesome. If you want to check out more of Keith's music, you can definitely check out his band, The Party Boys. I will leave a link for them down in the show notes as well. Also, another thing I'll leave in the show notes is I just set up a Facebook group. Uh, my plan is that the Facebook group will be an opportunity for you guys to get together and talk about the episode 
give me feedback on episodes, tell me which guests you want to see. I'll even give you a chance to ask questions for certain upcoming guests that we might have. And there'll be a lot of cool stuff there as well. So it's a Facebook group. You can look for it. It's just Goldshaw Farm Podcast. I will also leave a link though in the show notes. And thank you. I will be back very soon with the next episode of the Goldshaw Farm Podcast, where we are bringing you stories of homesteading, farming, and following your dreams. It's got a soul, this hero farm. Inside my arms, we work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshop Farms. A city life, yeah, had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshop Farms. Love is here at Gold Shop Farms.